Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. This is Gerard Gibbert, and thank you for listening to Middays here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. Heck yeah, we've almost, almost made it. These, these weeks when it gets dark at 5 o'clock, do they not seem longer? They do to me. Like the days, even though the days, the sunlight is out for a shorter period of time, the sun is out, it just seems like the weeks endure a little longer. I don't know. I mean, we're on the other side of the solstice, so the days are getting longer. They are. That was, what, the 21st? Yes. Or 22nd. Somewhere in that week. Right. So that means that the days get slightly longer, progressively longer. Oh, yeah, that means the sun isn't setting at 447. (laughs) I told you about my experience of living in Portland, Oregon, back in the 80s. And, of course, it rains every single day. It sure seems. And the forecast is so predictable. You don't really need a weather forecast. For today, a high of 50, low of 50, rain. Tomorrow, high of 50, low of 50. (laughs) It's like the same temperature, same sky conditions on a daily basis. But, of course, as you get further to the north, during the winter, the days are considerably shorter. Oh, yeah. I really didn't know that until I lived up there. I didn't know it was to that degree. And you look at your watch, it's dark outside. You look at your watch, it's... It's 3 o'clock. What the heck's going on here? But on the opposite side of that, in the summertime, their days are really, really long. 10 o'clock. Looks like 6 here, honestly. In the I experienced summer. that. We went on a mission trip with the youth group to Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is a little bit farther north than Portland. Yeah. And we were outside kicking the ball around with the kids, and we were all getting just war slap out, and we thought it was because of the altitude. Because we'd been warned about that going up there. It's like, hey, you're going to be at altitude. It may take you a little while to get used to it. You may feel a little lazy or lethargic. It'll, you'll get used to it. Yeah. But no, we realized we'd been out there for six hours. <laughs> it was 10 o'clock at night, and the sun was still up. You see, that's why I'm telling you that I, I can't do as much outside when it gets dark now about, what, 530 or so. I'm used to consuming my time with something productive, more productive, being outside. I feel like I'm more productive working around my yard and stuff. So I end up just reading and watching the business news and so forth. 
Uh, it just seems to make the... And then you look up at 8 o'clock and think, well, it's time to go to bed. It's only 8 o'clock. <laughs> oh, gosh. Speaking... <laughs> now it makes sense why back in Ben Franklin's day, people had two sleeps. Oh, the really? The biphasic sleep schedule. Oh, yeah, that's why the, the term midnight snack. Yeah. It's because when the sun went down, very soon after you went to bed. Okay. Slept for four, four and a half, five hours, got up, had a midnight snack, maybe a cuddle, maybe went for a walk, did some work, cleared your mind. Okay. And then about two in the morning, well, I'm tired again, let's go back to sleep. And go back to sleep <laughs> till the sun comes up. Speaking of sleep, I couldn't help but think of Donald Trump's description of Joe Biden is sleepy Joe Biden. He has a little bit of a problem taking care of the government's documents, does he not? It is kind of ironic that it was the crime of the century. <laughs> Irresponsible. So now, if you hadn't heard, folks, just this morning, I mean, just a little while ago, literally before we came on the air here, it turns out more classified documents have been found, this time in Biden's garage in his Delaware home. What the heck is going on here? Now, let's be clear. This guy was never the president at the time. These documents seem to just go walk out of his control during the time he was the vice president. He took them. He doesn't have the authority to declassify them the way a president does. You may not like that, that law, and if so, change the law. But it, it is the fact that a president can unilaterally just declassify documents. doesn't require any bill being passed by the Congress, transmitted to the president, which is one reason why I believe aliens don't exist, as far as like little green men coming in flying saucers. Because with as much as Trump Trump loves attention, yeah, if they had classified documents that little green aliens were landing at Area Fifty One, <laughs> don't you think Trump would have been like, "Hey guys, check this out"? Yeah, he would have. He couldn't. Have, he couldn't have held back on. He that. would not have been able to resist. No, I think there's. That's right. So there's a small batch of classified records that. Now we've learned, or sitting in Biden's garage, uh, and, and actually has two residences in Delaware, Wilmington and Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and documents have been found at both, but this most recent discovery, I believe as far as Wilmington Garage, is where it's a storage space, is what it's being described as in his Wilmington residence garage. Have you seen the tinfoil hat spin from crazies on the left? No. What are they saying? Trump planted them! <laughs> Russian, cons- Russian conspiracy to plant these documents. And, and watching the left try to justify this is just hilarious. Well, he did it inadvertently. Well, that doesn't really matter. And it also, I think, shows an element of irresponsibility. How can you inadvertently just pull, I don't know if they're in, sitting in boxes, how they're organized, 
how they're stored. But they're, they're trying to cover it up and really minimize it as being anything important. And i got to tell you, honestly, I'm not sure it is a big deal. It's a big deal because of the double standard. That's what makes it a big deal. It's like whatever the documents Trump has, I think at the end of the day, it really amount to nothing. I don't think they pose any sort of major risk to our security, which is always a concern when a president has... Well, any classified documents, typically, I think you, you always have to be concerned about, is there anything here that would compromise our security in these documents? That would be the primary concern. And they're, they've wandered out of the control of those who are authorized to know what's in them, might have to act, make decisions. That's why they have been privy to them to start with. But here we have a situation where I don't know if any of these documents in Biden's house really pose any sort of security threat. The fact that they're sitting in his house and somebody could get a hold of them, read them, obtain information that they could use against the nation. Now, that would be the concern. They end up in the hands of bad actors. But they started it, as they say. And I hate to say the whataboutism stuff, but a functioning society requires a fair functioning society, requires consistent application of the law. I think any clear-thinking person gets that. And that's what's gone awry here. You got the left freaking out when it was discovered that Donald Trump had documents, which, by the way, he had the right to declassify. You may not like that law, but it is the law. And in this particular case, they're making excuses for it. That's the problem. Rather than saying, yeah, this is a concern. Now, he just began speaking did the president a few minutes ago because we got the inflation report this morning and he was going to address the nation I don't I don't see him on there now maybe he's done with the speech we got the TV on here in the studio I don't see him on it so I'm thinking he's done but here's the question he's sure to get asked about this he was and, and what he happened? brushed it off as well at least they weren't in the street <laughs> Or excuse me, it's not like they were out in the street, oh, I believe is the quote he okay. used. Okay, it's okay that they're in his garage. Well, what about stored at Trump's residence in Mar-a-Lago? They freaked out so much they sent the FBI in there. Huge deal. Blue lights all over the place. Folks carrying guns. <laughs> Descending upon the man's residence. But in the case of Joe Biden, oh no, well at least they weren't in the streets. Oh Joe, you know how Joe is. Inadvertent. Coming back on middays with Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State University. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do
Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Rhino all over things, playing the obligatory money from the great Pink Floyd as we welcome Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State University. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for joining us on Middays. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I guess Happy New Year to everybody. So. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. So I guess the uh, most recent bit of pertinent economic news just came out this morning, and that was the release of the inflation data from the BLS. It, it appears that the consumer price index rose at its slowest pace since October, down from the 9.1% peak in June core CPI, which of course excludes energy and food, uh, climbed a, a bit, which was uh, a little surprising. And the markets didn't know quite how to react to that, just tracking that this morning. Yes. Uh, the big question is, uh, what do you think about that? And secondly, what the heck's the Fed going to do now? Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the first part's easy. What do I think about it? I, I think it's promising. I, you know, I don't think we're out of the woods. And I'm glad you pointed out CORE. And w what they do there, uh, for, for those who haven't uh, listened to me in class, basically you strip out the things that are volatile like fuel and, uh, and food and look at everything else. And that's still kind of high. Uh, and the other thing to remember, I'll look at it, I get, um, fuel energy prices were down almost 5%. So that would mask what's really going on. So I think it's promising, but you're not there. Now, what's the Fed going to do? I will make a guess like everybody else. I think they will uh, probably moderate their rate increases. Maybe a, I, you hear folks talk about either a quarter percent or a half percent. Because I don't think you're done, but you don't want to keep um, turning off, uh, hitting the brakes. Because I think it may be working. We'll, we'll know in about six months whether it really worked. But... It's promising, but you can't declare victory yet. Historically, the Fed has uh, had a goal of 2% inflation. 2%. Yeah, correct. And, what, 4% unemployment. And, and that's, uh, just, to, yeah. just to clarify, that really is the exclusive mission of the Fed is is a stable pricing and optimum employment, I think is the way they term it. But do you think the 2% goal of inflation is a little long in the tooth? Should we adjust that? Some think so. I, being, I guess, a disciple of Milton Friedman, think the answer should be zero. Uh, but but <laughs> I, 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 get, I get that. But, you know, point is, we, uh, if we were talking five to ten years ago, they would have been having that discussion when we were sitting at one and change. To, to, let's get the two because we won't want to get the uh, unemployment rate down. But, you know, if, you know, so I think it's a little high. I think it to get to two would be a really good thing. I think it may be more expensive in terms of unemployment than people are willing to tolerate, particularly going into an election, because we know how that sort of stuff works. When the day is done, uh, if the economy is going good, whoever is in, whatever party is in power, wins. If it's going poorly, they lose. Yeah. So I suspect at some point, it, uh, Powell's going to get all kinds of uh, Chairman Powell going to get all kinds of pressure. Hey, get the economy going because uh, you like this job. You know. <laughs> you know, Michael. You know, and wait. 
But I was going to say, my, my concern is is that they, they back off, right? They say, okay, there, there's enough evidence for us to start backing off because we're seeing a moderation of inflation. We're seeing unemployment actually increase is what they're trying to do. They're trying yeah. to crush demand, and uh, in order to do so, you got to see people lose their jobs. And then they come out of that, the market goes crazy, because I think they're also looking for the market to continue to stay down, if not even take a turn uh, to the downside even more. And they come back and say, uh-oh, kind of like the 70s, that didn't work, we got to go back at it, which would be a and then, disaster for the economy. And, then, and it's not a perfect analogy, but the way I would think about it, let's say your doctor say you need to lose 30 pounds. And you lose 15. That's not 30. Right. And then you stop doing whatever it is you needed to do to uh, do that. Not only did you lose all that good habit, it probably psychologically messes with your head. Yeah. So I think their challenge is, I think things are moving in the right direction, but you can't lose focus. And we've seen projects or uh, basketball games or whatever, you get close to winning, then you stop doing whatever it was that got you where it was, and then then you end up harder to get to that goal. And plus, it's, you know, slowing down an economy is a painful thing, and and uh, you don't want to uh, inflict that all. And you made an interesting question about comment about the markets. I could make a case the markets love the low interest rates. Not necessarily because of economic activity. If, if I'm only making a half percent on a CD, I got to find some place to make some return. That's right. Yeah, and and I saw uh, this morning the futures. Uh, one of the notable uh, pieces of that was a, a severe decrease in Treasury yields uh, yes. before the markets open, and that's moderated a, a bit. But I think markets are confused, and of course that's what makes them. you got folks guessing on both sides of what's going to happen here. I've heard some investment analysts within the last 24 hours. One says, oh, I think the Fed is going to con- continue to keep the pedal to the metal, and another says, I think we got one or two more quarter-point increases and we're done. Jamie Dimon says we're going above six. Some of his counterparts say, no, I think the terminal rate is five. That's what we're all guessing about right here. And who knows, the members of the Fed, particularly the open market committee, they may not know the answer yet. And they don't really have to decide. I think they meet in the month. That's right. And they've got some other da- other data to look at. And their challenge is, and I, um, is they, they, they want to slow down the economy, but they don't want to slow it down too much. Flip side is they want to speed it up, but not too much either. Yeah. And yeah. In the 90s, there was a phrase called the Goldilocks economy. And right. It's descriptive as, you know. And that's when you may remember that Alan Greenspan was like an economic god, and Bob Woodward wrote a book about him called The Maestro. It was a fascinating reading about the inner workings of that. And Bob Woodward being Bob Woodward, he got all kinds of people to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what's in Jim Leggett's crystal ball over the next six months, maybe the next 12 months, with respect to the economy? I'll just go ahead and say I think we may have seen the last positive jobs report. I think you're right. Uh, we're at what three, five, three, six, and if you dig a little deeper, there are some things that aren't real great, and and I think these interest rate hikes are just kicking in. Yeah. You know, think of the housing market; it's an obvious one to think about it. Uh, you know, if you're building spec houses, particularly on the high end, you're not sleeping too well tonight. You know, because it's so sensitive to interest payment, 
and and just use continue that discussion um, since my wife's in that business at the high end. That market is, I won't say it's dried up, but it's slowed down. So, so all the high-end buyers are now going to the middle end, and it's squeezing folks out. So I think you'll see that slow down and then ripple, and then we'll know in six months or so whether they achieved the soft landing or over, overshot the target. I fear you overshoot the target just because this is the economy is not something you can fine-tune. Yeah, I just don't think they're going to back off until they start to see uh, a more significant increase in unemployment. They literally want people to lose their jobs so they have less money to go spend. Uh, I think they need to see that, and uh, I think they need to see the CPI continue to come down. I mean, the report we got this this morning was nothing to write home about, but it it wasn't it's as better bad. than nine, but it's not great. That's right. I think that's a good way to put it. And I think folks are going to the grocery store and saying, you know, the price of eggs, which is in focus, up 60 or so percent year over year. And it seems like we focus too much, Jim, on month to month in these reports and not enough on, well, you know, I remember a short year ago I was paying this much, and now I'm paying 5X. You know, in fact, I have two screens in front of me. One, I'm looking at you, and then I have one with the CPI report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I stopped at the chart that showed the year-to-year change <laughs> for that very reason, you know. And what, as you properly point out, you see in June now just and even de- looking at this chart, December of twenty-one, it was seven. And remember, pre-pandemic, it was about one or two. Right, that's exactly right. And we're not it. it we're relying totally, according to the president on Fed monetary policy. We got nothing coming with respect to fiscal policy that I think would really boost supply. I got about 30 seconds here. Yeah, I agree. And in, and in what way uh, Congress is probably not terribly, is going to be running next year or so. I don't expect much from them. Yeah, you're not going to get anything there. Well, Jim, we certainly appreciate and That may you. not be a bad thing. <laughs> I, I agree. I think, I think a lot of folks in business would tell you that just they can't do anything to hurt us here, so just leave us alone. We're, Which means they can't mess it up. <laughs> that's exactly right. Good, great point. Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics at Mississippi State University, has been our guest. Appreciate you coming on, Jim. Uh, look forward to talking All to right, you soon. All right, sir. Thank you. All Mid- right. Middays, we'll step aside. Coming right back. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Tax man, proper music there after Mr. Leggett completed his interview. So, a propos. Watching the markets hopping all around, the investors cannot figure out all of this information at this point. Undecided based on today's inflation report, CPI report. Ben from Madison with respect to 
classified documents that leave the confines of government property. Ben says, I don't care if someone is a Republican or Democrat, if that individual has classified documents, then that individual should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree, Ben, that we should not consider the party affiliation. That should not be an issue in application of the law. Never, of course. And this is one of the things that I think aggravates Americans across the country is certainly what appears to be inconsistent application based on party. And where that inconsistency lives is in the agency complex. It's the FBI. It's the DOJ. It's the IRS. We could cite numerous examples of these inconsistencies. And this is just the latest. The freak out over Trump and his documents. And again, we point out something here, Ben, is that Trump, it is reported, declassified those documents. Now, honestly, I think we ought to look at changing the law there. I'm not sure it makes sense for one person, that person being the president, to have the authority just to deem documents is no longer classified. And my concern there is that if, if, those, if that information within those documents could pose a risk to the security of the nation, they need to remain, if they ended up in the wrong hands, they need to remain classified, that the president shouldn't just make that call. Well, I don't really think that's going to be a problem. Declassify. I have an issue with that. But the fact is, with respect to application of the law, that's what the law says. Maybe we should ask our members of Congress to consider sponsoring a bill that would change that. I don't know how folks feel about that. But in this case, what is clear is that Donald Trump did take these documents that he came across that were in his orbit as the president. On the other hand, Joe Biden, as the vice president, which is the time period to which these documents apply, he does not have the power as the vice president to declassify. Which is something that seems to have been completely forgotten by anybody arguing and and spinning this as, oh, it's nothing. These have been out of government control for, what, over six years? Yeah. And the first documents were discovered before the midterms. Yeah, and it, it does raise the question, was that just interesting timing? And the other thing you wonder about... You have to. But we didn't find out about it till after the right, midterms. Right, after the midterms. The same with the whole Hunter Biden story being suppressed during the presidential election. Many now say, yeah, I would have voted differently had I known that. That's just fact. And it certainly raises huge red flags about that, as it does with respect to the uh, midterm elections. And you, so you do have to scratch your head and wonder... Is there anything in there Joe doesn't want us to know about with respect to his rather cozy relationship 
with the Chinese Communist Party. That in relationship, in fact, likely enriched his family. He and his family. Yeah, that could have been a negative with respect to knowledge of that information by the voters prior to the midterms. Uh, what do they say? It's the optics. It's just the optics look bad here. We don't know. Honestly, there may not be anything to get upset about, worked up over in those documents. But that's just it. We don't know. And I do think that demands an, an explanation, an investigation. Good grief. The Democrats essentially mobilized every agency in government to do that with respect to the documents that Donald Trump had at Mar-a-Lago. So we have some sound here for you. Just, just a, f a few moments ago, after Joe completed his remarks regarding the inflation report today, he was asked about these documents. Mr. Mr. President, okay. classified, classified material next to your Corvette, what were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway, was in a garage. yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know. I take classified documents and classified material seriously. Okay. Great. Thank you. But you don't really tell us anything else. So, did you hear him also say there that uh, my Corvette was parked in that garage? <laughs> Who the heck cares about that? My Corvette was parked there, too. Okay, great, Joe. Uh-oh. Does that burn fossil fuels? Say it ain't so! Heaven forbid. <laughs> I don't think there's a electric version of the Corvette yet, is there? Unlikely mm, Joe's no. bought it. <laughs> Golly. He did, however, you've seen this. The White House is walking back the ban on gas stoves. <laughs> the... Uh, it, the, the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, yesterday when questioned about that, made it clear that this was really not a position of the White House. I'm calling horse hockey on that. I think they got absolutely lambasted by people who were in their camp. It wasn't just conservatives, Republicans, folks on the right who balked at this deal. It came from people on the left who rely on gas stoves for a living, who enjoy cooking with gas stoves, etc. And she made it very clear, no, this came from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. But then yesterday, they acted like nothing ever happened. This, no, that was never on the table. I, that's not true. You're lying about it now. Alexander D. Hone Sarek. I think I pronounced it correctly, is the chair of the public, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, uh, and said that his agency has no intention of banning gas stoves. 
That's after an official that works for him came out and said, yeah, I think we're going to have to ban these things. So which is it here? I, was this a trial balloon, you think? Let's see how well this goes. We really think we should do this. Yeah, we get more power and more control. And then all hell breaks loose. And they say, no, that's not what really we were planning to do. Not the case in New York with the governor, Kathy Hochul. Wow. Is she getting to business because she snuck a proposal to ban sale of gas stoves in the state of New York, regardless of what the federal government does. And then you got folks that make a living in New York. You know, there's quite a few restaurants in the Big Apple there that are awesome, honestly. And so they get all kinds of rebuttal from people in the business. Here's one from, uh, let's see what this guy's name is. He is uh, Stratus Marfogen. Stratus Marfogen spoke on behalf of professional chefs. He is the director of operations for the Brooklyn Chop House, founder of the Brooklyn Dumpling Shop Eateries. They have them all over the city there, the Chop House. After the break here, we've got... uh, We're on a break, yep, right now. After the break, we'll read exactly what uh, Mr. Morphogen had to say about Hochul's band. I think it hits the nail on the head, as they say. Coming right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. We've got Representative Trey Lamar coming up after the break at the top of the hour. Looking forward to discussing the legislative activities to date with the representatives and get his take on the remainder of the legislative session. So back to this gas stove situation in New York. This restaurateur Stratus Morphogen, who is the director of operations for the Brooklyn Chop House, he says, electric, we were talking about this yesterday, right, Rhino, electric can work for fast casual. However, with fine dining, it's impossible to function with an electric kitchen. He says, imagine a guest ordering a two to three pound whole fish 
That usually takes 40 minutes to cook. Now it will take two hours. <laughs> Goes on to say, can't wait to see the Yelp reviews if this happens. Wow. I've never looked at electric because it has never been able to do the same job, said James Malios, a, a New York restaurateur. Another says, I've cooked with electric in outdoor markets like urban space, and it sucked. It takes forever, and people don't like the results. You can't char. It doesn't work the same way. So you got to believe that probably most of these people, just based on the numbers, are Democrats. Certainly some of them are, and they're pushing back and saying, are you guys crazy? You're going to kill our business. Just unbelievable. The uh, director of the New York Hospitality Alliance, he also blasted the plan, and they represent 24,000 eating and drinking establishments in New York City alone. 24,000. <laughs> he says, if this comes to pass, the New York dining scene's goose will be cooked as chefs would be unable to achieve the precise control they need to cook. So the problem with the Democrats always, again, looking to take things away, that is their approach to every problem, most of which aren't really problems. So they fabricate the problem, embellish it, exaggerate it to hell and back, and then they come up with some control, some restriction, some reduction. Do with less. That's always the solution. We're going backwards. That's why global cooling became global warming and became climate change. Unbelievable. That's why assault rifles became assault weapons, became assault style. So it's... They just make it up as they go along to fit whatever they need to get more power. And then a solution looking for a problem. Yep. An example is we've got this FAA outage yesterday. And and as we thought, that's cascaded into today. We got lots of cancellations this morning. But old Pete Buttigieg, I guess they had to, <laughs> he gets interviewed on the news talking about it. I guess they had to go pull him out of the field somewhere looking at racist roads and bridges, right? That's what that he diversity was. hire is really working out for the federal government. And that's exactly why they hired him. He had zero experience, nothing, knows nothing about this. And he comes out, and what does he say? Yeah, we're going to launch an investigation. That's just a party line always from government. Yeah, investigation. For what? It, multiple failures on your watch, and you're too worried about racist roads and bridges. Yesterday... This week, you got the leaders of this country, President Biden, Mexico, Canada. They don't talk about trade. They don't talk about the border. They don't talk about common economic interest. They come out with resolutions on climate change and equity. I'm telling you, they worship that narrative. They kneel at the altar of climate change and equity. It's all they care about. I'm just not sure 
if that is really producing the sort of political clout they think it is. And I just wonder now if you've got all these restaurateurs in New York City, including the individual who runs the organization that represents 24,000 of them, you know there's some Democrats in there. What do they think about this overreach by the governor of New York? But I'm still not buying that there was never any thoughts about issuing such a ban on a national level. You know there was. That wasn't just cooked up. See what I did there? That wasn't just cooked up. No way. Not buying it. I think they floated it. They saw the enormous negative backlash and said, okay, we're out. We're going to step aside for the news right now. After that, it's Representative Trey Lamar. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays live from the Element Well Studios on this Friday Eve. It's supposed to be a little cooler as this front pushes through as well. Oh, know. yeah. If you walk outside right now, it's about as warm as it's going to be all day, and it's okay. just going to keep on dropping. All right. Well, Won't join... get quite down to freezing, though. No, not like the, the pre-Christmas weather. Christmas. Although the weatherman did say there is a chance for some overnight lows below freezing from Friday into Saturday. For, it's January. Yeah. It's supposed to be. Representative Trey Lamar joins us now. He represents District 8 in Mississippi, chairs the House Ways and Means Committee. Representative Lamar, always good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming in on Middays. Gerard, thank you for having me. Uh, glad to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to some of that cool weather. I almost broke out in a sweat on the way in. <laughs> that was crazy. Yesterday, got it felt like spring-like outside. Mm. But, yeah, it's winter, and we're probably going to see these uh, fluctuations in the temperature. That's what we typically do see. It, All right. it should make for a good deer hunting weekend. That's that's what's that's on what tap folks for us. Are looking, that's what folks are looking forward to. <laughs> my son is as well. So you guys have been uh, down there at the Capitol meeting up for about a week or so now. Uh, a week and a couple of days, I guess, at this point. I, anything that we should know about that has surprised you or is, is notable that well, we want to share with the people? You know, the traditional thought, Gerard, is that the uh, this is an election year and things are going to be slow, but they have been anything but slow. Um, you know, we had the issue of the uh, the potential vetoes and uh, yeah. overrides last week that we had to consider, and then, you know, this week the House is already uh, – we had floor debate yesterday, and they're going to have some more this afternoon. So mm. we, my committee met yesterday, passed a couple bills out um, yesterday, and we'll probably take those up on the floor today. So uh, those are uh, – one of them is pretty somewhat controversial. But it's uh, that's that's kind of par for the course in this job. You you know the things come before us that you just gotta 
you got to sort through. They're not always easy issues, and yeah. this one's certainly not, but it's dealing with the uh, automobile dealership laws that we have in the state of Mississippi and the, okay. the uh, emergence of electric vehicles into the market, and how in the world do we do we handle that uh, in an environment where these new and incoming um, uh, electric uh, uh, utility and electric vehicles companies uh, have a business model that they set up that don't include dealers. Well, right. We've always, since way before my time, but before your time, back in the 30s, had an automobile dealer law in the state of Mississippi. So that's one thing we are dealing with right now. We've got a bill before the House, House Bill 401, that is uh, addressing those issues, um, just trying to make the, the the playing field as level as possible uh, and at the same time um, stand up and, and make sure we uh, consider and, and try to do the best for the thousands and thousands of employees who work in the in the automobile dealer and the manufacturing uh, business here in Mississippi. So it's a, it's not an easy issue, but it's it's one we're, we're tackling uh, head on. This came up last year, did it not? It did, it did. Unable to get a, a consensus last year, but yeah. I, I think we're going to try to get something done this year that will will help our automobile dealers as well as the uh, you know our manufacturers. We've got you know Toyotas, Nissans, and all the suppliers and other folks that work in the business across the state, um, and and take care of those jobs and, and continue to to try to provide a, a good business environment for them uh, going forward. At the same time, uh, being fair to the new folks that are entering the market. You know, there's also, uh, along those lines, there are a number of companies that have announced their intention to produce vehicles, electric vehicles primarily, to sell into the market, and it's not likely that they would do so with a traditional storefront dealer. Yeah. Uh, and these are companies that are not among the list of the, the legacy automobile manufacturers that we all uh, think of. Apple comes to mind as one that is <laughs> a very a- aggressive with their plans to introduce an EV into the market in a couple of years, it's doubtful they'll look to stand up a bunch of brick-and-mortar dealerships to sell their vehicles. Well, you're, you're right, uh, and, and it's, it's one of those things uh, that, like I said, it's complicated because what you have, uh, you've got somebody like an Apple or a Tesla or, you know, um, Lucid, I think, is one of the, the yeah. names of, of the companies. And, uh, you know, you've got your legacy manufacturers like your Toyotas, Nissans, GMCs, Fords, Chryslers, all those guys. They're thinking, well, we got to stay competitive. Um, so, you know, they're certainly looking – uh, into the EV market, and they've already taken steps. You saw us, uh, meaning the state government and le- leadership last year, took steps to incentivize uh, Nissan here in Jackson area to to basically continue to to be able to to um, employ all the people they have out there as they look toward shifting toward electronic vehicles mm-hmm. um, and, and electric vehicles and yep. plug-ins and those types of things. So. Um, those guys are, are shifting, uh, and you know there's a concern, a, a big concern amongst every automobile dealership in the state that they're gonna they're gonna be left holding the bag, and that's uh, I can't remember how many thousands of employees, but it's a lot, yeah. uh, and and those are, a lot of times are the backbones of some of our small towns and communities all across the state. So it's it's a touchy issue. Um, you know, I would say one thing to consider if you're if you're at an Apple or thinking about buying an app the next Apple car when it comes out. You know, it's it's may not maybe it's not going to need as much uh, attention and as much servicing as a, a gas combustion engine or a diesel, but it's going to have to be serviced. Okay, it's driving up and down the highways of the state of Mississippi, and so if if you buy a car from Apple uh, and it, it shows up at your front door, 
without a dealership in Mississippi, where are you going to get it serviced? Yeah, and and so that's a, that's an issue that we have to you know look at as well. And um, maybe if we were starting from scratch in 1930, we wouldn't have set it up the way it is now. But you know, how do you unwind it? I, I don't know. It's not just a Mississippi issue. Every state's that's dealing right. with this. Everybody's dealing with it. But uh, but the one thing we know though, I think uh, Trey, is that it's coming. We're not going. We're not going to stop. Apple from That's right. uh, building out their model, and there are going to be others to follow. We just got to figure out a way to deal with it. And we've got some of these old laws on the books, and and you certainly understand, and I do, the uh, the dealer's position on this, and and it's their job, I believe, to warn just as you did, consumers. Yeah. Hey, look, you you can do this, but just know that you can't drive it down the street if something breaks because there's no place to take it. Yeah, and, and look, I don't expect somebody like Apple or t- Tesla is already here. For yeah. those who don't know, they've got a storefront here. Um, I, it's not the. I don't think it's that big of a an ask to ask the the next car manufacturers, the Apples or whoever it is of the world, to if they're gonna. Um, want to sell cars in Mississippi. They didn't say they have to have a, a dealership on every main street across the state, but put one in the state, yeah. you know, where, yeah. where, you know and, and service the citizens who may buy your cars and let them, them use it sure. that way. So I don't think that's too much of an ask. That's that's my position. But, I think all the states are yeah. probably grappling with the same thing as you indicate. Yeah. Okay, so the speaker was in last week, and uh, I think no surprise, still remains as his top priority, elimination of the income tax. Lots of debate about that last year. I know being chair of the Ways and Means Committee, you, of course, were in the thick of that. You and I talked about it many times. Um, our friend Senator Josh Harkins over on the Senate side as well. We got a bill, but the bill stopped short of total elimination. Where do you think we're headed with this now? So just to kind of provide the listeners with a, with a very brief background, what the bill did last year uh, is we eliminated the 4% bracket on individual income tax, and we took our our last bracket, which is the 5% bracket, down from 5 to 4%. Now, that happens over a period of four years. It's stepped down. And then at the end of the uh, the four-year period, it requires the legislature to come back, take a look at it, and make findings to whether that should continue or not. Well, we had initially set out trying to uh, adopt a, a legislation that would uh, eliminate the income tax at some point in time in the future as quickly as possible and as responsible as possible. Um, but that did not require further legislative action. That didn't happen. We got the best bill we could get uh, at the time and ended up being the largest tax cut in the history of the state. That said, the people who, who see the benefit of that, and Speaker Gunn is certainly one of them, we want transformational generational reform in this state and our tax code and that's where that's where that's the place we've been coming from over the last several years as we have debated and pushed this issue and although a, a tax cut is nice it's not generational reform it doesn't nobody's going to you know stand up and say hey i'm moving there from uh from nebraska or from kentucky because you know you you went from five to four we get to a point where Mississippi is eliminating the income tax and on the leading edge of that in this country, people are really going to take notice of that. And that's that's what we want to continue to push. And thankfully, we are in a financial position where we can uh, realistically and, and responsibly have that serious conversation. And so I think what Speaker Gunn is, is talking about and what, what certainly I'm looking into the mechanics of how that bill would work is to try to accelerate the process that we started last year a little bit. And nobody's saying, hey, we're going to eliminate it in one year. We're not saying that. We're not trying to look at doing anything that's irresponsible. But if we can accelerate that process a little bit and actually place into legislation um, an actual date of when 
the uh, income tax will be eliminated in this state without further legislative action, I think that would be a tremendous win for the hardworking people of Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can you stay, stick around? Sure. Yeah, we got Representative Trey Lamar in the Element Well Studios. We'll continue our discussion about the 2023 legislative session. Stay with us. Talk Mississippi. During his solo career there, produced that tune. We've got Representative Trey Lamar, Chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee in the Element Well Studios. We were just talking about income tax elimination. So one of the things that we can take some comfort in, Representative Lamar, is the, the fiscal and the financial condition of the state is certainly strong. And the governor touts this as well as he should. Our lieutenant governor, our our speaker, members of our legislature, just saw the report from yesterday, I believe. We exceeded the revenue estimates again for the month of December. That's right, uh, to the tune of about 50 to 60 million, I think, uh, over and above what we collected in December of 21. And so, you know, I do a, a quick little math, uh, a little math for every, for everybody. The, right now, uh, in this current fiscal year, the state is spending about 6.3 billion dollars out of our general fund for to run the state. Yeah. The year last year, we spent around five point eight, five point nine. So you people may say, well, you you increased government spending by three to four hundred million dollars just in one year, and the answer is yes, we did. The vast majority of that was the big teacher pay raise that we were able to do. Yep. Um, increasing government at three to four hundred million dollars a year is not sustainable. We're not. We can't continue to do that. We, that's not. That was a. That was a last year thing. It was not an every year thing. So I want the listeners to understand that. Here's the other side of that whole deal. We are set to take in, and we use this number. I actually think this number is a little conservative, but around $7.5 billion in general fund revenue this year. So we've got a, a um, spending at 6.3 that has already been substantially increased over last year. We're not going to increase it, you know, try to keep those increases down as, as much as we can for this going this budget that we're working on now and we're bringing in 7.5 probably more than 7.5 okay. so let's just say 1.2 billion plus the question is 
what do we do with the extra $1.2 billion? You know, we have, we, we're, we're paying our teachers more than the national average now. We'll continue to look at that. We've, we implemented a formula called SEC Squared for our state employees last year that's already taken place, where we're bringing up uh, the, the uh, average salaries of our state employees. Well, certainly, we've got some needs of corrections in mental health, and we're addressing those. But it's not $1.2 billion. Yeah, right. Okay? In addition to those annual recurring numbers, we've got about $4 billion in unencumbered money sitting in the bank that we've <laughs> got to figure out what to do with from the surpluses over the last couple of years, uh, in addition to a full rainy day fund. So we can say we don't want to cut the taxes, but the two options, uh, really three options, we're either going to grow the government, which I just told you that's a, we don't need to do that, not at the rate that, that we did it this past year, and then number two, uh, we can we can cut taxes or number three we can ignore it and that's that's really the only three options and we can ignore it and keep sticking it over in a bank account somewhere that's not smart either especially since we already got four billion sitting in the in the bank that we're going to look at doing some some really good uh infrastructure projects and continue to invest in, in infrastructure from you know tennessee to the coast so um what do we do? We we can't ignore it, and that's that's the issue. Is um, do we do we try to ignore it? Or we do do we grow government? Or do we cut? There are only really two options: are we going to grow government uh, year over year, or are we going to look at continued cuts? You know, we started a good thing last year with the uh, income tax cut, and I take the position that we need to look at finishing it. If we continued on that same path. Um, if 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 we enacted the laws and cont- at the end of four years continued on the same proportional cuts, we would eliminate the income tax in about 12 years, maybe 14, somewhere in that ballpark. I think we can accelerate that. I really do. I think it's a good way that you frame it there. I mean, these really are, what it, when it boils down to it, is these are the three options we have with the current scenario, situation. Uh, I, honestly, I think, Representative Lamar, that the, that the challenge is reconciling the differences in the outlook between the House and the Senate. Yeah. The, the Speaker believes that we're in shape to continue to produce uh, sufficient recu- what he calls recurring revenue, right. which is just our traditional sources of revenue. About a third is sales taxes, about a third is income taxes, roughly. And then the other third comes from a variety of, of other taxes, including the corporate tax, franchise tax, gaming taxes, etc. But I think on the Senate side, there's there's more reluctance. There there's a little bit more concern about are we going to be able to sustain this level of revenue, which would enable us to phase out the income tax. Well, here's what my response to that, Gerard. Because you're exactly right. That's that's the the for those who are more reluctant to um, to phasing out the income tax. Um, is this is what they say? Well, a rainy day is coming. Well, I agree. I mean, a rainy day is coming. Rainy day is always coming. Okay, they've come in the past. But here's the deal: go back and look at the history of Mississippi. Go back and look at the history of our state tax collections. In order for the rainy day to put us in a bind, you've got to. It's got to go from seven point five, and I've already told you that's a conservative number of what we're going to bring in down to below six point three or six point three in that range. That's a $1.2 billion backslide. Do the math. That's probably at 15 to 20%. When, when state government uh, retracts, it may retract 1 2%, yeah. 3%. Yeah. Historically, that's what we've that's seen. Historically, that's historically. Five, maybe. Seen. Yeah. We've never seen anything like a pullback. Right. What? So, okay, let's say you have a... You know, a three to five percent pullback. You sh- we're still to the good, uh, you know, close to a billion dollars, and that's what 
that's the that's the reality. That's what people have to acknowledge. Well, let's be honest. If if that were to occur to the state, that also means that we're likely to see a significant reduction of income taxes as a result of just a downturn in economic activity. So sure. just having the income tax in place isn't going to solve that problem. Sure. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and that's kind of on the micro level. Let me let me jump back to the macro uh, level a little bit, the bigger picture, uh, and and bring in some politics. Uh, you know, we didn't set up the system. I didn't. You didn't. The, nobody that's in, you know in the <laughs> legislature now did. But can you imagine in today's environment? Let's just assume there had never been a income tax. Let's assume we were going to adopt for the first time an income tax here today in 2023. Can you imagine what the outcry of the people would be if we said, "Hey, look, we're just going to take tax your work." If you think about that, for a minute, you know, you're going to go to work. You mean, I'm going to go to work all day long and earn a, a $500 for that day. And you're going to take a hundred dollars of my 500. There would be, there would be riots in the street. It would be, it would be awful. No doubt about it. And so for people to defend the income tax, which I like to call the tax on work, uh, from a policy standpoint, it's, it's just, um, those people just are, are used to the status quo. And I'm trying to get people to, to look beyond the status quo and say, hey, do we really have to tax work? If we don't have to do it, then why do we do it? And um, and let's work. If It's not a good tax. I mean, it, it's a tax on productivity. It's a tax on, on things that we want people to be doing. We want every able-bodied Mississippian to get up in the morning, go to work, provide for you and your family. Yeah. We shouldn't be taxing it yeah. if we can help from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that gets often omitted in the discussion is if people have more money in their pocket, that means they're likely to spend it, and they're going to spend it in such a way that they're they're going to incur sales taxes, even at the present rate of sales taxes, and that boosts our revenue from that source. That's exactly right. And people like to talk about freedom and choice these days. That's a big. Those are big uh, key words, buzzwords, important to a lot of folks. There's no more freedom than saying, hey, you get to decide how you spend your money, 100% of your money. Here it is. You decide how much you're going to give to church, how much you're going to spend on your family, how much you're going to save without the government taking a portion of it from you man, uh, uh, mandatorily. So yeah. that's uh, it's it's just a better way to do it. You know, it's it's we knew it wasn't going to be easy when we set out looking at it. Uh, we're not on some island. I'll remind people of that there are nine states in America that do not charge an income tax right. against their people. And so um, – it's doable, and we uh, hopefully we can continue down that path and at the same time do a lot of the good things that the Lieutenant Governor um, uh, Hoseman, who does a, does a great job, the things that he wants to do as well. Sure. I think we can work together and accomplish um, both of these uh, reasonably, and I hope that we can do that and deliver on these issues that are important to Mississippians. Before you go, I know it's uh, not uh, germane to your committee, but the uh, citizen ballot initiative, of course, didn't get across the finish line last year. We've, we've talked to everybody that we've interviewed this year since the session started about it. What do you see happening there? I'm 100% in favor of it. Voted for it last year, as you call. The House passed it uh, pretty much as is it was. The only, with the main change being we we don't change we don't want to change the Constitution right. anymore. We want to allow the, the the ballot process to be put into general state law. Um, that we didn't get along, uh, get to an agreement with the Senate. I'm in favor of that. I hope I hope we can get there this year. I do too. It's it's the main thing I hear, Representative yeah. Lamar, from the people on the text line and just out in the public in general. Man, we got to get this thing restored. Well, it just strengthens the people's voice and that's that's what we need to be about doing always good to see you my friend appreciate you coming in on uh middays here thanks trey and we'll be talking to you enjoy it gerard thank you have a good day we're coming right back with more here on middays stay with us 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Days is back from the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The market's uh, still hopping around. The old kangaroo is pretty busy. you got to be getting tired here. Third day in a row, however, third consecutive session that the NASDAQ is in the green, investors trying to digest the CPI report this morning and see where all that is headed and how that might move markets. And we we knew today would be a market-moving day because every time they release the CPI report, you get a reaction. Now, there was a long period of time You didn't even pay attention to it because there was little movement in the CPI, certainly during the Trump era, as Mr. Leggett discussed on our program in the last hour. It was kind of a non-issue. The release of the BLS's uh, release of CPI on a monthly basis, inflation data, really nothing, no big deal. Not uh, uneventful is a good way to describe it. Uh, also on the ceasefire text line, another accolade for Representative Trey Lamar. Like the way Trey Lamar talked, more folks need to hear him. I agree. I I think he does a good job in the House of Representatives, and he's certainly been the point person on the income tax reform and income tax elimination. You can tell that he has great proficiency with that subject matter, and that's what he needs to to have uh, in that position, ways and means, is what that's all about. I, uh, I'm i hopeful we can get something done there. I don't think we can eliminate the income tax fully next year, but I certainly do believe that it is doable, it is tenable, with the right plan over, as Representative Lamar said, a 10- to 12-year period. I totally agree, and I'd like to see us get it done. I can tell you that while we were sitting here in the studio this morning, I got the Business Channel on, and they just evidently did a story about Mississippi's quest to eliminate the income tax because I saw the governor, a photo of the governor, still photo, the Capitol and the the banner underneath those images said Mississippi seeks to eliminate the income tax, the state income tax. So we're getting national news. That's something that Representative Lamar said here in the program. And it is something, I think, to point out and to boast about. Another big piece of uh, political news, and probably should have gotten to this earlier, I apologize for that, and that is that Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley 
He's the PSC Commissioner for the Northern District of Mississippi. There are three, Northern, Central, and Southern. The Commissioner announced on his social media, at least, and I'm sure in other outlets as well, that he will be a candidate for governor of the great state of Mississippi. I believe he will run as a Democrat. Someone asked earlier, is he going to be running as an independent? I don't think so. I think he's running as a, a Democrat. Anytime I've visited with him, he has always described himself as an FDR-style Democrat. Well, I mean, just be blunt. He's not going to run as an independent because he doesn't get any money from the Democrat Party. That's the bottom line. And, of course, if the Democrat Party believes that he's in striking distance and has a legitimate chance to unseat a Republican governor in a, a red state such as Mississippi, they'll pour some money into it. They're going to pour some money into it no matter what. But they wouldn't if he ran as an independent. That's correct. And that's I think a lot of folks don't realize that, but that's one of the main reasons if you're considering running as independent or attached to a party, money. Generally speaking, is at the heart of that. Let's be honest. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, Tim in the Delta just said it. What about Brandon Presley running for governor? What do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about that? Make Mississippi better for Mississippians. Forget about all that political gobbledygook, says Jim from Caledonia. He says electric vehicles are a fad. They will be in the junkyard in 10 years. I completely disagree with that. If that's the case, Jim, then every auto manufacturer on the planet is going to be bankrupt. Because every single one of them, every single one of them, is investing mightily in EVs. And I would just encourage people to once again think about where we stand in the innovation cycle of electric vehicles. I've described it as being in the bag phone era of mobile phone technology, maybe even prior to the bag phone era, honestly, is where we are. We're just, we're just getting started. We're, in the, we're just ahead of the plasma screen phase. <laughs> Where it costs a whole lot of money and doesn't last very long. Yeah. You're right about that. But, but now look at how much it costs to get a gigantic flat screen that weighs a tenth of what your big screen did back in the day. Which also produces considerably higher resolution. Oh, yeah. Draws less power. It's Wi-Fi connected. has all kinds of other interfaces on it and so forth. I mean, it's yeah, it's unbelievable. Costs less, weighs less, draws less power, and produces a better outcome. Now, people would argue today that, well, yeah, that EV just doesn't suit because it does not produce a better outcome. i got to stop charge it. It takes a long time. Replacement of batteries is expensive, etc. I agree. That's where you bring in the sociological aspect of it, just like the bag phone, just like the plasma screen. There's a big chunk of buying an EV at this point that is a status symbol. I, I think that's to some extent, but I don't think that that's unusual, given, given the, the curve of innovation of, of any sort of new technology. They're, they're generally only uh, financially tenable to 
those who are of means. It's the same thing. Uh, gosh, I remember when I started my business. You want a, a 286 personal computer? Okay, it's 5295 bucks. That's what an IBM AT sold for in 1986. Oh, by the way, it's a 20 meg hard disk. Meg. 20 megabyte hard disk. Seemed like it weighed a half a pound. It's about four inches high, six inches deep, four or five inches wide. Right? And the device itself was about five or six inches high. Had a floppy drive or two in it. Had a 40 meg hard disk. And by the way, that $5,295, no monitor. You had to buy a monitor separate. Another four or five hundred bucks. And it was monochrome. And it too weighed 15 pounds when you plugged it in. So think about where we've come. Good grief, go out to any of the main computer manufacturers' websites. It'll hurt your head. There's so many choices. Really? Why do we need that many? But there's unbelievable number of configurations with respect to memory, processor speed, storage. And you got different kinds of storage. You got SSD storage, flash storage, all sort of stuff, right? For a fraction of the cost of the $5,295 IBM 286 in 1986, which had very limited functionality, wasn't a whole lot of software available. Think about that now. So I think you got to be patient. Uh, it, it, trying to just, I guess, dismiss something based on where it is today in the innovation cycle, I think it's a bit myopic. Humans are very innovative. That's how we got all this stuff we're all accustomed to today that makes our life easier, more productive. No doubt about it. Healthier? Go down the list. And we're just getting started. Just getting started with EVs. I'm not prepared to buy one yet because it it doesn't meet my consumption habits. But I'm not going to sit here and say, I will never have one. I don't know. Solve some of these problems that we're talking about. Range, cost, Accessibility to charging, charging methodologies, all of those things are going to change dramatically. Won't even recognize it five years. The difference between what's available today and offered today and what will be available in the future. But every single manufacturer is making incredible investments. It's clearly, it's going that way. Fifteen years might be the only sort of vehicle available is electric power. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. We hope you stay with us. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well Studios today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. You'll hear an interview with former NFL quarterback Steve Berline. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, a supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Kelso in Ocean Springs says the person that texted you about EVs being in the dump in less than 10 years did it from a smartphone he probably vowed to never use seven years ago. I don't know. It could. It certainly could be. I, I just think that it's unwise to underestimate the power of human innovation. The market will drive this. I'm all for choice. I'm not for banning fossil fuels vehicles. I think any attempt to do so, as we've seen out of some states, and certainly out of Joe Biden and the federal government, is silly. I really do. I don't buy that the planet's climate is being destroyed in the way that certainly they convey it. I, I'm not. Wait, you mean the world's not ending in ten years? No, I'm sorry, AOC. And uh, it's almost like we never learned to ignore the people like Al Gore, who said, "There's not going to be any snow on Mount Fuji." Look, what's this guy that his name escapes me was on 60 Minutes last week, a couple of weeks ago, that back in the 70s was predicting we're all going to starve, run out of food. He had a number of predictions. He's like got a, a moniker. Like Mr. Wrong or something like that. And he was on, I can't believe 60 Minutes had him on. He's like 80 now. But back in the 60s and 70s, he was... Paul Ehrlich. Yeah, that's it. What's his little nickname? He's got a nickname because he's wrong all the time. But he predicted the population explosion. And he predicted we were going to run out of food and run out of fossil fuels. And, I mean, it was just doom and gloom city. And the planet was just going to crater. And I don't mean crater like in 2050. I mean like by the 80s. It's just prediction after prediction, all of which never came to pass. Why do we even pay attention to that guy? But 60 Minutes had him on a couple of weeks ago. You see that? They were just, he was just oh, yeah. interviewed. <laughs> Incredible. So my point is never underestimate the power of human innovation, and that it applies to electric vehicles. I, I know today a lot of folks look at that and say that's just not practical, and I actually agree with them. Not practical for me. Now, if all I did was commute a few miles a day, I'd have to think about it. When you consider you don't travel long distances and so forth, or do that less, or I could afford another vehicle, a fossil fuels vehicle, for that purpose, so I'm not inconvenienced with having to stop every 400 miles and charge for two hours. I wouldn't enjoy that. That doesn't suit my lifestyle. I think it doesn't suit a lot of folks. But if I could not have to pull up to the pump like I do now and just charge it every night and go to my normal place of work or business or whatever my normal daily commute is and didn't have to travel outside of that? Yeah, I'd have to think about that. That's why I think it's exciting to look at all the the scientific studies and the prototyping that's being done 
with nuclear diamond batteries. Uh, it's a totally agree. Where they basically encase an element in diamond to protect you from it and it from the conditions, and the battery can last much longer than anything you put it in. Yeah. And that is uh, common. It's in its so, infancy. Battery technology. So something else. So yesterday, let me let me start with this. Yesterday, I just made the point that the left solution to everything is do with less. It truly is. Think about it. Everything is do with less. Nope. You just got to do with less. It doesn't matter if it's what you eat, what you drink, your your consumption of energy, everything. Do with less. Can't eat meat. Just go down the list. Less, less, less. Rather than, well, okay, if there is clearly, in, in, if you can empirically prove with incontrovertible evidence that the carbon that humans emit is harming the planet, well, then let's figure out a way to take the carbon out of the atmosphere. That's something that's been worked on. So yesterday, a climate startup came up with some devices that they demonstrated that remove carbon from open air. Industries first. Finally cracked the code, figured it out. A company called Climeworks. And they're going to be selling carbon credits for doing this to Microsoft and some other folks that are still consuming traditional electricity, but they demonstrated this at an air capture facility in Iceland. We're just getting started on this. Now, this is what I'm talking about. This solves the problem. Don't have to turn your life upside down. Let's get the carbon out. Coming back after the news. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of middays from the Element Well Studios on this Friday Eve on the ceasefire text line. We were just talking about EVs. Have you seen the devastation a lithium mine does to the earth? Not to mention the battery graveyards. Love your show, by the way. Yeah, we're we're aware of all that. I'll just say again. Ultimately, the mainstream battery, I believe, that will take hold. In the future, in, a, in an electric vehicle, won't be lithium. Again, I say we're just getting started. Right now, that's all we know how to do to produce in terms of producing a battery with sufficient power and life to propel an EV is a lithium-based one. But I, I keep up with this somewhat in the various technology journals. I know you do as well, Rhino. There's so much going on with respect to battery technology. Is it there yet? No. Well, I mean, it? just look a few years back in your own life to before lithium batteries and look at the battery capacity of alkaline batteries. Yeah. 
your your typical double A's, your your C cell, your D cell battery. How many D cell batteries did it take to power a big mag light? Good point. How much? How many lumens did you get out of that incandescent bulb in the D cell battery powered mag light? Now go look at that same mag light. It's got an LED that puts out ten times the light, and it's powered rechargeably with a lithium battery that lasts infinitely longer than those D cells would. Yeah, and so technology but, progresses, and, and we're certainly aware and and think that that's why it's silly. Honestly, I do. I you may or may not agree, but when the Democrats come out and talk about how EVs are saving the planet, they always do fail to consider. Well, yeah, but what you got to do to get the batteries built to power those EVs, it's also destroying the planet. I totally agree. That's why we don't see everybody rushing down to the store and buying these things. I think there are some people that have concerns about that. The destruction to the planet is part of the mining process, and there are all kinds of reports of slave labor being involved in extracting those minerals as well. But it's coming. So I've said this before, and I think it bears repeating, and it's it's a personal opinion I have, is that we normal mortals always think about technology and about solving problems with currently available technology. We don't, generally most of us, don't have the capacity. Doesn't make us bad people. It, it just is a statement of reality. Most of us don't possess the capacity necessary to dream up and produce and create all these inventions that solve problems for humans. There's just very few of us that have that ability. That's the way God made it. I describe it as a bell curve. you got a few people on the edge of uh, the one side of the bell curve that have that ability. you got a whole big swath of us in the middle that kind of sort of do a little bit, and then you got a bunch of people on the other side that have zero. And that also applies to their their willingness and ability to take advantage of those tools to produce value. There are countless individuals all around the world who have made a killing, have enriched themselves and future generations by taking something that is understood and thinking, what could we do differently with That's this? That's true. That's true. Th- those are just a, a scant few number of humans on the planet. I've I said it before, and if you heard it, I apologize for repeating it. Steve Jobs said it best when he said, people don't know what they need until I tell them. <laughs> he kind of was right. I, I don't know that there's been another human, certainly maybe since Da Vinci, that had the same sort of prowess to innovate and dream and invent as that guy. Some people would compare you Tesla. Tesla. You could, some people would compare Musk. Still, don't think he's quite in the league with Steve Jobs. Honestly, Musk is less of an individual innovator and inventor as he is an aggregator of talent. That's a good point. He, so he's he is a little bit more of a, a just a business operator uh, and manager and administrator. And honestly, Steve Jobs wasn't. That was a knock on Steve. 
Even that's why own, Apple kicked him out. That's why Apple kicked him out. You're terrible at running this business. But then came groveling back to him. He did. They did. But he also allowed the board to take a more active role in, in oh, yeah. operating the company. Hey, Steve, just invent stuff, right? Well, that's because before they kicked him out, his idea of let's get better computers was to have two competing factions under the same roof going at each other. And that may work on a on a football field or the baseball diamond, but in the world of business, that's not generally a good way to do business. That's absolutely right. He also famously said a long time ago that uh, he, he thought personal computers should remain personal and not be networked and connected to a network. But he finally came, uh, came around on that, and of course, the rest is history. But again, don't underestimate human innovation. Now, what what uh, hampers human innovation? Government. Stupid, silly, overreaching government. When they get the hell out of the way, humans are pretty good. I know that when I used to go to Wall Street raising money, I'd tell the investors, hey, if you think we're done with human innovation, you don't want to invest in this industry. If you think we're not done, that there's still... More, more room, more runway. You want to be here. We were just the middle person, right? The folks invented it, and we, we installed it, and designed it, configured it, and implemented it, and supported it, made it all work. They make it, we make it work, is what I used to tell people. But it's so true. We, we humans think about, well, gosh, lithium batteries, and I'm with you. It, I don't like the fact that we're strip mining the earth, that we're using slave labor, that we don't exactly know how to dispose of these things after their useful life. But I submit you won't even recognize what the next generation EVs will look like. And there's massive amount of investment going into that because there's huge opportunity. And the, and the oil and gas companies are also aware of this, and they're making investments in renewable energy sources. What I was so- talking about earlier, which I think is really neat, this company... Uh, Climeworks that's come up with this carbon capture technology. So in Iceland, they do have a cap-and-trade system where they installed the first operational units. And they do have a cap-and-trade system, which is simply means that, as, as a company, you get to produce so much carbon, and after that, you, you start paying penalties, fees, taxes, if you will. But you can buy credits from other people that don't use the amount they're allocated. So these people essentially are producing no carbon. All they're doing is taking it out of the atmosphere. So they're accumulating a big balance sheet, if you will, of credits. Microsoft is producing more than they're allowed to to operate their facilities in Iceland. They're buying credits from this company. They're making money by selling credits, which is just paper. But in the cap-and-trade system, those are valuable. So Microsoft avoids paying fees for exceeding their allowable output of carbon. It's pretty neat, honestly. So stuff like this, just getting started. Imagine. Was it Bill Gates wanted to put a big screen or something up to, to block the sun? No, he wanted to send rockets up filled with chalk powder <laughs> okay. to create man-made clouds and obstruction to prevent UV rays from hitting the Earth. Unbelievable. 
Johnny in Raleigh says, hydrogen is the future, not electric. I, you, it could be. You know what? I support all the above. You know, I've talked about that, Rhino, with the breakthroughs recently of uh, nuclear fusion. All the above. Let's bring on the fission. Let's bring on the fusion. Let the market sort this out, not the government. Let's bring on more fossil fuels vehicles that there's work being done to make them more efficient. Already a ton of work has been done. Uh, and the, the United States has been uh, in the lead on that to dramatically reduce the amount of carbon output from traditional, uh, traditional fossil fuels-powered vehicles. Uh, amazing progress there. The left, by the way, never does acknowledge that. This country leads the world in reducing carbon output over the last 20 years. It's not even contestable. But yeah, I think hydrogen, no doubt has a huge uh, future. Is it Toyota that's already announced hydrogen-powered vehicles, I believe? I think it's Toyota. I know they've tinkered with it in their prototype programs in racing, but I don't know if they have a production model just yet. Yeah, I right. I don't think they do. But they've announced that they're investing in this, and they do intend to produce hydrogen-powered vehicles. I think it's cool. Bring them all on. More choice. Not what Bernie Sanders says. We don't need so much choice. (laughs) We'll come right back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, on to the real part. Dynamite! On Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, a little head east. Looking at the breaking news here in the studio, Attorney General Merrick Garland has appointed a special counsel to investigate classified Biden documents. We will see where that leads. That could be all for show, though, honestly. I don't know how serious he is. I mean, this is the same guy that sent the DOJ after parents at school board meetings, right? Same guy, right? Think so. Yeah. Can't take him seriously. What about Brandon Presley running for governor, says Tim in the Delta? Yeah, we've uh, certainly been talking about that. I don't think it's a total surprise. I think Mr. Presley has certainly suggested higher office aspirations. Whenever I've had him on the program, I ask him and he never would answer. That usually means, yeah, I'm thinking about higher office, and that's fine. It was, but it was a fair question. Stephen the Delta says we need some real Republicans to run for governor and lieutenant governor. I think that takes us back to the question, Rhino, of what is a conservative, what is a real Republican. There is no consensus on that anymore. Maybe at one time. Everybody would define that differently, don't you think? I don't, I don't, I don't see there being just... 100% lockstep congruence on that. What what uh, are you unhappy about specifically with the present? Just cu- serious question there, Steve. Uh, governor and lieutenant governor, just curious, interested in that. Ben from Madison says, Governor Reeves will shellac Presley. That being said, I do think that Brandon Presley is more relatable to Mississippians than Jim Hood was. I think Jim was more of a consummate, measured politician, 
and I do think it's fair to describe Brandon as a populist. In fact, he may be the most prolific populist politician in the state. Whenever I've chatted with him, he would describe himself as an FDR-style Democrat. FDR-style. New Deal and stuff, I guess, right? So he's in favor of growing the government more than anybody else? Because he certainly did. No doubt. Talking about FDR. Yep. Jerry Imponitok says, I wouldn't vote for a Democrat for dog catcher. I'm very interested in the segment WLBT is airing at 6 tonight on the dangers of charging EVs. That's from William and Brandon. Jerry in Caledonia. Uh, pardon me, Jeremy. Jeremy. I like Brandon Presley, and he has done a lot for the state. But if he takes out-of-state Democrat money, he will be expected to follow in line with the thinking of the people where his money came from. It's a legitimate concern, but do you have those concerns on the for about Republican candidates, Jeremy? Just curious. Because you guys know often that money comes from sources that are interested in uh, some sort of repayment for the can from the candidates that they support. I don't mean as in writing a check, but they seek access and influence on legislation. That's the way the system works. They, you, you give enough money, generally speaking, you get access. You get to plead your case at a minimum. You may not get the exact bills and policies that you want, but you're likely to have a better shot at access. A lot of people are probably rubbed the wrong way by that. It just works that way. Also, uh, re with respect to Mr. Presley, on the ceasefire text line here, if you announce your campaign with a divisive attack ad, you show your true colors. That's a good point. And I do think in his video, Mr. Presley's video, he does go after Governor Tate Reeves. It's pretty clear that's who he's targeting not expecting any serious primary challenge on the Democrat side. And so he can start earlier, uh, pardon me, early <laughs> in his mudslinging and trashing of the present office holder for the office which he seeks. I think you're going to see more and more of that. But do not underestimate Governor Reeves once he has a clear picture, I believe, of his primary situation. I think the governor's pretty good about giving it back. And you got to think that he'll do that with respect to uh, Brandon Presley. Boy, isn't the Neshoba County Fair going to be fun this year, Rhino? I'm going to have fun with that. <laughs> fun is certainly one way to describe it. <laughs> Ricky and Jackson, Rhino and I discussed your, your text here and weren't uh, really sure what you're talking about says now on computers you cannot find a misspelled word on computers we need to go back to writing on paper are It'll you never happen yeah unless I, nuclear winter and we've ruined the world that's the only reason you'll ever go back to doing everything on paper it's just a waste of time energy and resources the same amount of space that it takes for a book to take up space on a shelf with Words printed on the page. 
is ones and zeros that fit neatly into you can put thousands of them in your pocket it's just inefficient and in a technologically advanced society going forward they're not going to go back to inefficiencies you know I, I sit here and think about what life was like before that and it's orders of magnitude better honestly the productivity gained from digital communications and the ability to uh, to move documents and data and information around with a few clicks anywhere in the world I don't even know how you put a price on that. It's been an invaluable, invaluable uh, benefit to society that I don't, I don't think you could measure. But yeah, we're not doing that. Gosh, I remember the typewriter days, how inefficient that was. And then we got word processors, and that was a godsend back then. I remember word processors, dedicated machines that only did word processing, 15 grand. CPT, Wang, amongst uh, some of the mainstream word processing companies. IBM had word processors as well. Nothing compared to what, of course, you can do today. It's, it's unbelievable. I think we should celebrate it. Again, this is human innovation at work that gave us all these great tools. We're so much more productive. And think about how that's drawn out, giving, giving tools to people who have ideas and, and it's difficult for them to, to capture them, express them, because they didn't have the tools to do it. But now you have tools to do that. And one of the concerns, you've seen this, this technology that, that college students are using. They give it some ideas and it writes a paper for them. It's like perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a challenge. Now, so that's, that's, I don't know if I'd call it the bad, but it's the risk right, of innovation. There's certainly some value in that, but the risk is, in this case, well, how do you know that that's actually content produced by the student from a grading perspective? That becomes a problem. No doubt. We'll see where all that goes. Walter and Tupelo said, in quotes, Republicans for Presley, colon, let's get Brandon end quote, bumper stickers have started showing up in North Mississippi. How about that? Republicans for Presley. <clears throat> hmm. the, uh, let's see, on the ceasefire text line, the ones going all in will go bankrupt. That's referring to the electric vehicle manufacturers. Well, if they do, there won't be any cars to drive. Won't be any vehicles to drive. Because they're all going all in. Find one that's not. Find one that hasn't announced significant commitment of investment. You know some? You're, you're thinking like you may know. I want to say Koenigsegg out of Europe hasn't Who? really pushed very hard. For, but they're one of those that they have tried to find every single efficiency in the internal combustion engine. Okay. They're the ones that have worked on eliminating valve float at high RPMs, and they can get a 1,000 horsepower out of a three-cylinder engine and stuff like that. I haven't seen them push into EVs. Okay. But, but they're also one of those hypercar luxury brands that nobody can afford. 30 people in the world have one. So certainly we, we know that 10 miles from here is a giant Nissan plant, 10 miles north of our location. And they announced about this time last year, as I recall, 
$500 million expansion, renovation to their factory to produce EVs. Wouldn't surprise me that within five years, that's all they produce out of that plant. Huge announcement. All the dignitaries were on hand. I, I attended that. I was intrigued by the announcement. And they showed the vehicles, showed um, renderings of them and, and video of them as done by artists and animators. It was fascinating. Cool-looking vehicles as well, but I don't know if I'd call that all-in, but again, every single manufacturer on the planet is making substantial investments here. What they'll look like, as I said, in seven or eight years compared to today, you won't recognize. Won't recognize. Coming right back with more on Midday. Stay with us. Bring it on! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on! On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays, Super Top Mississippi. Gary and the Berg sending some news here from the local television channels here. Yeah, there was some shooting. No big news there, unfortunately. Gas station shooting leaves two injured in Jackson. Saw that. And a two-year-old paralyzed after being shot on University Boulevard in Jackson. Gary says, only black conservatives can change Jackson. How many more innocents will be hurt before they wake up? I don't think black conservatives can change it because there's little to no respect, it seems, from the black community, just based on my observation, of black conservatives. So we played the clip yesterday with a race lady. Joy Reid is a great example of that in her conversation, if you could call it that, with Congressman Byron Donalds from the great state of Florida, and the discussion concerned solvency of Social Security, Mr. Donalds simply quoted what the Social Security Trust Fund Board says is this thing's going broke and uh, by 2035. And she said, no, 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 and was talking over him in a very rude fashion. And think about if Sadly, if a white journalist, commentator, anchor, host, whatever it is, but the person conducting the interview did that to her, talked over her that way in a rude fashion, tried to cut them, her off, good grief, it'd be on the front page of every liberal news media. But she can do that to him. And, that, and all I'm pointing out there, Gary, is that I, I don't think that is the solution. The solution is people like the race lady speaking up about this cultural decay and moral depravity 
but they won't. That's just it, because they point fingers at everybody else as being responsible. That's the fundamental problem. I mean, the mayor of Jackson said the water problems are rooted in racism. As an example, the hood, roof, and trunk lid should be covered with solar panels on every electric vehicle. Also, they should have a generator attached to one of the axles. <laughs> Maybe we should get Matt Walsh to find out what a Republican is with the laughing emoji. Of course, he's been searching for the left to define what a woman is for some time. Yeah, that's a good idea. William and Brandon, will Robert Foster jump in the race? Mr. Foster has already announced that he is a candidate for DeSoto County Supervisor. So I don't think it, we'll see that. Is there something in these classified documents, or is this the way the, the Democrats' way of trying to make Biden unfit to run for presidency in the upcoming cycle? I don't think so. I really don't. Not considering how it's already getting spun on shows like The View and all across social media that, oh, well, these must have been planted by Republicans. Trump did it. Trump planted them. Everything's Trump. Brandon is still a Democrat on the ceasefire tax line. He supports the Democrat agenda. If he didn't support them, he would be a Republican. So it, there is no way I can vote for him. Okay? Republicans for Presley? Started by a Democrat, I'm sure, referring to the, the bumper sticker that someone told us they've seen around the Tupelo area. Corvette is supposed to have an electric version for 2024. How about that? We, were, we got to talking about that because Joe Biden says his Corvette is also parked in the garage where these classified documents were discovered. I just made the point that it's likely not an electric Corvette. He's supposed to be setting the example. Wasn't too long ago he was up at Ford, right, on the test track, driving the electric F-150. The Lightning. The Lightning, yeah, exactly. William and Cortland, Toyota backed up saying the technology wasn't ready and would be at least five years before they're ready. Says William and Cortland. Yeah, and that's actually true. What Toyota said was that they're, they're going to absolutely convert to an all-electric lineup eventually, but right now their focus is on hybrid. So part electric, part gas. Our government will bail them out. Come on, man. That's from the person who said all the manufacturers of electric vehicles will go bankrupt. If they go bankrupt, let's think through that. If they go bankrupt, since it's all the, the household names in the, manu in the auto manufacturing industry, it's GM, it's Ford, it's Toyota, it's Nissan, it's across the board. Every one of them have pledged to an all-electric lineup in the future. So if they do, that means what I see is global economic collapse. If they all go bankrupt, that means people aren't buying vehicles. Right? They can't sell them. That means we're all hanging on to our old ones, which ultimately got to be replaced, honestly. Certainly a lot of money invested in servicing after a certain point, including complete engine overhaul some point. So I don't see that happening. And I don't see the government bailing them out. That need will never occur because they're not going to go bankrupt. I should also point out that... 
deliveries of electric vehicles for last year, the increase was just over 20%, 20% year over year. Wow. VW reports that they delivered 330,000 more EVs in 2022 than they did 2021. All the German automakers are all experiencing sharp increases in sales of EVs, BMW as well. EV sales uh, for, let's see, Mercedes also up considerably, 124%. Wow. For Mercedes. So somebody's buying these things out there. I would argue that it's not like these companies will forget how to make the internal combustion engine. Right. So if your presupposition is true, that EVs are a fad and a trend and will go away like the dodo, <laughs> then these companies aren't going to continue to dig a dry well. They'll revert back to making what made them money. It's the market. Before they allow themselves to go bankrupt. They're totally right. The only thing that would inhibit that is if the government steps in and bans internal combustion engines. That's where you start seeing companies going bankrupt because... People can't afford it. The company can't make any money, but it's illegal to do anything other. Totally agree with that assessment, uh, Rhino. This is the market speaking. Again, I say I welcome all. All. We need them all. We need hybrids. We need gas. We need electric. Let the market sort that out. Somebody will win. I just laugh at a lot of the arguments against electric vehicles and saying, I'm not going to get one. What about this? What about that? are the same exact arguments that were made from the transition from horses to the horseless <laughs> buggy, the earliest cars. Well, why would I buy a horseless buggy when i got to tote fuel everywhere and I can't make these long trips where with my horse I can just stop and let them graze? <laughs> True. What happens on the ceasefire tax line? When you travel to visit dear little mom in small town, no charging stations. I have to stop in largest city on the way. I will never buy one. Bingo. Well, a couple of things. Yeah. My so, horse can just graze. Right. Why would I get a horseless carriage? So don't forget the bipartisan infrastructure bill, like it or not. In fact, I um, did not support it. I opposed it. And we're going to get 500,000 charging stations. One of the problems I see with that is that by the time they build them all, we won't need them. Because we're, we're, again, developing all sorts, to your question here, to your concern, all sorts of technology that is going to keep your battery, whatever the, that future battery looks like, assuming it even requires charging in the future. There'll be other ways to get that done without having to stop, park, plug in, and wait and find a charging station. There's no doubt that's coming, because everybody knows. Here's why. Because of what he just said here, or she. I don't know who this person is. But uh, what we know is that if that is an objection, then the people making these things are coming up with ways to take care of that objection, to handle that objection, to overcome it. Otherwise, they ain't going to sell them. Rose makes a great point. 
It makes perfect sense for Europe to be selling more EVs than the U.S. Their fuel is double or triple what we pay here. There's the market speaking. They also travel shorter distances, right? They cr- travel across the whole dang continent of Europe. By as far as, uh, about as uh, much time as you can get from here to Florida. It's pretty compressed. And a lot of people live in small areas. Small, small boundaries around those countries, geographically speaking. No comparison. Coming right back here on Midday. Stay with us. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Unmistakable vocals of Brad Delp, Tom Schultz on the guitar, Barry Gutro also on the guitar. Boston bumping us into this segment. Ray Long Beach says, I'll be driving my 327K mileage 2001 Toyota Tacoma until I can no longer find parts for it. God willing, and the creek don't rise. Keith and Baden says, Gerard, I think there's something fishy about those documents. I can't put my finger on it, though. I wonder if it's got some stuff in there about the Biden's cozy relationship with the CCP. That would be the main reason I would see why this uh, Joe Biden would take those, because that happened during that time period. Or Hunter's dealings in the Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. Thomas and Greenwood says, can you be for EVs and against subsidies? I, I don't agree, as we've said so many times, Thomas, with the subsidies that were recently enacted in the Inflation Reduction Act, subsidies to encourage the purchase of EVs and electric panels and water heaters and appliances and solar panels. I think I covered them all. He says, just carry a generator in the trunk. Patton Ocean Springs, won't the electric grid be the limiting factor? It won't. Uh, today, yeah, if everybody rushed out and bought an EV, yeah, I'd say that caused a problem. But increasing electric capacity, there's ways of doing that. We talk about it. Nuclear is one. But, and, and maybe that means government will soften their stance on that. You want EVs? we got to have more electric capacity. I also remind, though, there is technology being developed that we will see in the next 10 years, maybe even less, that will keep an EV charged without ever plugging it in. I really do believe that's coming. I mean, just look at the energy efficiencies available with cell phones, smartphones. Think about how much of a pipe dream just, what, a decade, decade and a half, two decades ago, the concept of wireless charging. True. I mean, that's an idea that Nikola Tesla toyed with over a century ago. And it took until the last decade or so for it to, for the technology to catch up to the idea. And now, on just about any new phone, 
you can wirelessly charge it. You just sit it on top of whatever little charging station, and it starts charging. You don't plug it in. It's doing it wirelessly. Yeah. That that seemed like science fiction, and I'm, like, growing up, that would have seemed like science fiction, and I'm not even 40 yet. I totally agree. So you just have to understand technology progresses. Sometimes it progresses faster than you're comfortable with. That's But true. it's still going to keep progressing. We talked about it, Rhino and I did, during the break. Fundamentally, we as humans, it's just built into our nature, we, we're reluctant to change. And the older we get, the more resistant we are to change. It's been that way. You were telling me about the, the, the uh, grievances and the concerns about converting from horse and buggy. So, same deal back then. Oh, yeah. Same deal. All rooted in hu- human nature. That's the one thing that's been fairly constant throughout the uh, the span of human life. That really hasn't changed a lot. It's just a different domain. Back then it was it was horses to to uh, traditional automobiles as they called them and today it's going from fossil fuels based vehicles to EVs. Same deal though, same same objection. I don't want to do that. I don't want to change. We just we're just wired that way. And that's fine. It it, it just is. When the EV, here's my theory on this, when EVs are available that either improve our lives economically, I mean it costs us less to operate, without giving up anything that we currently enjoy, any aspect of using a traditional fossil fuels vehicle, then game's over. But until then... I agree. You're not going to see this mass movement to EVs. There's still you're going backwards to some extent, right? Because you got to stop, charge, plug in. Don't have the range. That's just inconvenient. And I think most people say, "Well, I don't want to do that. I would be giving up what I enjoy about this fossil fuels vehicle. I never thought about, which is it takes me four minutes to fill up, and I get four or five hundred miles on that, as opposed to." Three, four hundred miles, two hundred miles, depending on the vehicle, and having to stop and charge for an hour and a half. Nobody wants to do that. It's, it's, uh, you're losing benefits, not gaining any benefit. When they're released, when EVs get to the point where you, you obtain new benefit, yeah, then people will rush out and buy them in droves, no doubt about it. Sorry I didn't get to this, but uh, somebody asked about reducing the state income tax and move those dollars to replacing dollars from fuel taxes. No, I think fuel, should we do that? No. Fuel taxes come from the excise tax on fuel, and I think that tax, which funds our roads and bridge construction and maintenance, should still come from consumers who use the roads and bridges, not general fund income taxes. No, I'm not for that. We're out of time here today, back in the studio tomorrow. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.